Um, I'm just real excited. Uh, uh, this is the Critical Conversation uh, Leadership Series. And I, I wanted to talk to someone who would know what's going on in the fire service. So I figured why not pick on the busiest man in the world, particularly a month out of uh, the big show, uh, and, and, and talk to a guy who I think has his pulse on the fire service, and that's Chief Bobby Halton the editor of uh, Fire Engineering Magazine. And uh, what is your title for the FDIC? Uh, well, just like a bank, they call me a vice president. So me and I think everybody else that works there, uh, the, the, we, uh, I'm the vice president. The, fire, the, the company that owns us, uh, Clarion Fire Rescue Group, they own FDIC, Fire Engineering, Fire Press Emergency Equipment, uh, Firefighter Nation, General Emergency Services. And they kind of asked me to keep my eye on all of that for them, which is a, a really nice, um, so it's a nice thing to occupy your time. You know, <laughs> you, I imagine you know. it does. So not only do I have FDIC coming up the first week of August, I'm running a show in San Antonio called EMS Today, the third That's week right. of August. That's right. I uh, forgot about that. I run out to San Antonio and, and then six months later, we do it all over again. Yeah. So right, because we're behind the ball. The turnaround is going to be incredible. And, and in the meantime, we'll publish all those magazines, you know, 24 magazines and, and all the uh, websites and all that stuff at the same time. So so, so that's exactly why. I, oh, I our books and video division. That's right. Our <laughs> fire academy, and our fire academy. I forgot about our fire academy. Right? And don't forget the books. Don't forget the books. Books and video. So my, our buddy Papa, Papa has got his ventilation book out. Very excited about that. Yeah, that's a great book. Did you hear about uh, PJ? Yes, the new director of the Connecticut Fire Training Academy. Yes. His boss is going to be, his boss is working on a, helping a student with a master's thesis right now, but he he hopes to be able to pop in here and uh, at some point, just been very kind to us. He uh, he makes sure that the information about this program, other programs gets out. And so, uh, I'm surprised not to see Peter. I, I thought for sure we'd have Peter down there somewhere. It, the, they may pop in again this is a little bit on unusual time for us um but again we wanted to if, uh, we could appreciate your being able to give us this time so so you know what's what i wanted to is quiz your brain and, and quiz your mind because again as you're involved in so many things you're looking at so many articles you're watching so many trends break over you know as, as they're coming through why, why don't we talk about uh, two or three things that you think are are our big issues uh, in the fire service. Um, and, and I'm kind of looking for future trends, but again, things that, you, that are going on right now that you think are gonna really rise to a point where we're gonna need to get our, 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 try to get our hands wrapped around them. Well, I think two, two of them are physical. And the third one is, um, really more cognitive so you've got two real didactic elements that are happening right now that are associated with the fire service in so many really kind of interesting complex ways the first being the uh depending on where you live they're being called pedestal buildings they're being called uh you know they're a bodega plus three or they're you know shopping mall parking garage plus five or seven or eight or ten we had a fire yesterday i can't I saw briefly the fire yesterday, but it was another one under construction, burnt to the ground. Um, they're, they're a new phenomena and, and they're not, right? In other words, in today's world, 
anything that's 15 seconds old as yesterday, but <laughs> they're actually been with us for probably arguably the last 10 years or so. Um, the proliferation of them now though is, is vast. And I think it's going to continue for two reasons. It, it allows people that normally would have moved uh, further into an urban area as they age, people like me, because of the availability of medical care, having people around you, shopping, things of that nature, to where when you live in a rural area, like I do currently, but you know, access to those things requires transportation and time. Right. And, and, and you use those things more frequently. So in the past, we either created these communities um, like, like Del Webb or the villages or something like that, that had these independent homes, which was fine and, and lovely. And lots of people use them and they work well, not disparaging them. They may be in, in fact safer, but they're expensive and, and, they're, and they're not quite for everybody. The other side of it is gentrification. And when you're looking at gentrification, it's much easier to build one of these new prefab 60 home or 60 apartment, 80 apartment, 200 apartment places than it is to refurb an old brick and mortar building, you know, retrofit all of the innovation that people want, whether it's, you know, you know, you're, you're taking buildings that were built with, you know, maybe two stairwells and now you're trying to, you know, compartmentalize it into multiple apartments and such. So it's a little more difficult, although much more aesthetically pleasing, it's, it's more difficult. So around the country, you're seeing these, and some of them are modest, you know, they're 16, 18, 24, you know, condos, but some of them are massive. You know, some of them are just absolutely massive. Mike Dugan and I uh, just haphazardly ran into one outside of King of Prussia, and, and it, it was a complex of them. Right. So it wasn't one, it, it was 10 or 12 all being built simultaneously. And so the parking garage, non-combustible, concrete, first floor, then the bodegas, the Starbucks, the dry cleaners, the whatever they're going to put in there um, for, for convenience sake down on, the, on, uh, on that floor. And then seven or eight stories of wood frame, you know, uh, basically condo slash apartments. Those fires are, um, I don't want to say insurmountable, but they're incredibly challenging. In other words, the resource commitment that you have to make to a fire of that magnitude under construction, it's basically, a, you know, it's a water show. You just let it go. But once they're done and we've had fires in some that have been completed, very difficult fires. Uh, access and egress is dif difficult. Staging is difficult. The manpower constraints are massive. The water water management issues are massive. So wrapping our head around that um, new element of, of um, construction is going to be interesting, right? And alongside of that, there's still a push within the building industry because they call it green or sustainable, and it's anything but to build wood high rises. Um, the problem with that is that we've got a little bit of history with wood buildings here in America, uh, and none of it ended well. Um, you know, even the great John J. Bresnan was killed in a, a wooden, um, you know, high-rise fire uh, back in the back, quote unquote, back in the day, early 1900s, along with the medal of uh, Gordon, Benel, Gordon, Gordon Bennett uh, medal winner. His name escapes me at the moment, but the 
the water cistern that held the you know the, the the water supply for the building on the top that came crashing through the roof as the fire it was a lamp factory of all things too um, so it came crashing through the roof and and killed them both um, at that particular fire now so, are we skirting are we skirting the resident are we skirting the sprinklers in those or we just don't have that or the fire load is just not matched up correctly well i'll tell you and, and and i'm sure john can chime in on this one because that you're talking about r3 and and so you know it's the it's the scourge of the codes so when you're when you're doing residential uh, sprinklers uh basically it's mostly the common areas now sometimes you'll have people who'll do a more thorough job and they'll do the entire apartment complex but generally speaking you're talking about the hallways you're talking about shared areas right so the fires think about um, well not the same kind of building but if you think about the um american um american hotel in in dubai that yeah. had that fire on uh, new year's eve and it was a skin fire right just rolled balcony to balcony to balcony to balcony to balcony so as we build these new residential places what are they building off of all of the you know upper upper priced condos have what a balcony right and they're all contiguous so you can just imagine you know john q public taking his hibachi out there or 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 uh, what are they deep frying their chicken or right. turkey rather the deep fried chicken thing and then it's katie bar the door because it's gonna you know it's it's gonna run now what was interesting in grenfeld the grenfeld fire another skin fire as it went up but in Grenfell, the windows assemblies right. were not were, were had had enough draft that that fire got drawn into the uh, into the building. That the the American Hotel in in Dubai, that building was built stout enough that that was basically just a skin fire. But when when you have enough draft, and remember when you're building with wood, wood is wood. Back in my days when I pounded nails as a kid. We would, you know, you talk to the contractor, and he would always meet with the families later, and they said, "Well, you know, the the windows aren't said. Well, wood is wood. Over time, it warps, it dries, it, you know, things happen to it. So, you're always going to have more gaps and more. The building's going to be more susceptible to draft as a wood building than a steel concrete building ever would. So, that's the one. That's a big physical issue that we're dealing with, and I think that that one's going to be. Interesting to see how the communities that are going with that type of construction and promoting that kind of construction, how they're going to manage that with existing resources, right? You know, um, if you look at the proliferation of McDonald's across America or now Starbucks, very few of them ever go out of business because those people wait till the population's there, they've got the income stream, they build one of those enterprises. Unfortunately, the American Fire Service is not Starbucks, we're not McDonald's. So as our communities build out, you don't see the new fire stations coming in. You don't see the new, you know, you don't see the new uh, staffing. And and I'm full disclosure. I'm a volunteer firefighter out here. I do training with a couple of different organizations out here. I'm very grateful and blessed to be able to participate and 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 uh, and, and 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 have fun with these guys and gals. And it's just the greatest joy of my life because I get to hang around with young people and they. They teach me how to like turn on my phone and stuff, and you know, stop my stop my my VCR from blinking 12, 12, 12. So just kidding. It's a good, good joke though, huh? VCR. I even got John to smile on that one. John, if your VCR is blinking, I got you, brother. So, so we we you know we uh, we get to do that. But even here in, in the community I'm in, and it's a, it's a Wasso, Collinsville, Oklahoma area. 
you know, I, I'm seeing these buildings going up in Owasso. Great organization, great fire department, um, full, fully paid little little fire department for this community here. We're, we're about, we're, we're right on the border of uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So we border, we're on the northern border of Tulsa, Oklahoma. So, but for the resources of Owasso, should one of those things start to go, that's it. They're, you know, they're, y'all yeah. come, you know, and, and call the neighbors because we're all going to be on TV. It's going to be a long night. And, and I, those, I, are, those are campaign fires. I think one of the other things that goes along with that is many times in the building codes and the fire codes, we'll give some exiting distancing and we'll give some protection away. And we'll, you know, if we have some sprinklers there, right? even an alarm system there will give some distances away and then of course that allows you to put more stuff in you you don't have to have as many as many hallways as many stairwells or whatever whatever it may be um and the thing is we've talked about before is having the, the ability to plan ahead for your worst case scenario and then build your system to that rather than waiting and then calling for help uh, you know what I mean? That's well, it, it gets even more them. nuanced than that. Now, generally speaking, we would think, well, we can do a garden apartment stretch. You know what I mean? We can do, we can do a vertical standpipe. Well, good luck doing that when when you've got uh, you know one of these configurations with multiples, right? So you know you've got 240 potential condos in four different buildings, and and you're talking about you know that are kind of connected, but the, the 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 void space between them the the barriers aren't such that you're going to stop radiant heat from you know catching the next one and then give us a good wind and then the secondary issue to that not just water supply long stretches laddering issues setback issues then you've got air right you know life is better with air did an in-depth study on it you, you, people do a whole lot better when they have air trust me it's a it, I'm not sure, you know, pretty much foolproof, we need it. As firefighters, we also need it. And so the incredible fight we get with FARS, uh, firefighter air replenishment systems, even in high rises, we haven't even begun to broach putting, you know, FARS into supermarkets and assembly buildings and malls. And now these, you know, uh, gigantic multifamily uh, residential complexes that, and they're not like a multifamily residential high rise. They're different, right? The multifamily residential high rises that we're all really familiar with, those are they're either brick and mortar or brick and steel. You know, they, they have standpipes in them. They've got you know pressurized stairwells. They've got bulkheads. They've got things that we can manage. These things that are built, these 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 toothpick palaces they're building today don't have any of that. Let's and, let's talk a little bit just for the audience to make sure everybody's on the same page. So as far as Essentially, is we pre-pipe, we pre-pipe, excuse me, breathing air through the system at designated points, similar to the same concept as a standpipe. Um, and then, as as you have, we would have this event, right? You would have an, literally an air branch, yes. not like helicopters, but like breathing air, and you would have designated locations where you could go and connect using yes, the rapid. There's, a, there's an NFPA standard for it. You're exactly right, and you can have. Um, you can have air supplied in it in reserve. So in other words, there's a certain amount of air there and you can pump to it. You could bring a, you could bring an air uh, system and pump air into the system, just like we pump into a standpipe. So there's, there's, it has two phases to it, if you will, right? Almost like when you roll up on a job, you can go on tank for a while and then tank to fill and then you've got your tank going. So it's the same kind of thing with firefighter air replenishment system or FARS. And so, you know, 
folks like me are advocating that that system should be advanced to any building where firefighters can be expected to travel more than 200 feet from the entrance. And, and that's a lot of buildings, in my opinion. And that's just my anecdotal distance. You know, that someone should probably do a study to figure out what we really need to have. But when a, when a guy or a gal gets in trouble on the fire ground, I've, I've read enough line of duty rescues and enough line of duty death reports to know that moving a firefighter who's not on air beyond 200 feet is a phenomenal, is a phenomenal enterprise. And, and, and so my concern is that if the firefighters run out of air, then everything else is just interesting. You, you, know, you can have a standpipe building. You, you, we, we, need to start, we need to start thinking of firefighting like we think of building assemblies, right? In other words, you, know, you, you guys do in-depth research on people's hygiene issues for buildings and industrial sites. Could you imagine somebody designing a complex where they look at each component of it individually and not as a total assembly. Now we don't do that with buildings, but we do it as we approach the firefighting. And I've even heard firefighters talk about firefighting being done in a linear fashion. In other words, we'll do this and then we'll do that and then we'll do this. And that completely denies the reality of the fire ground. The fire ground is a dynamically complex environment, right? And from studying things like complexity, we understand how one tiny, one tiny, tiny element that's just the, the, a small degree of difference in air pressure, wind direction, fuel loading can make a catastrophic difference in the outcome from one event to the next. And so when you're dealing with, you know, and I think it was, I want to say it was, it was either Glick, it was James, I think it was Glick. He, he was talking about um, self, self-actualizing, self-regulating self systems, in other words, dynamically complex systems and, and how they, um, basically self-regulate, but he said, strange things happen on the boundaries, right? In other words, and that's where we operate. Um, we operate on the boundaries. And when you look at some of these events that where firefighters have been killed or injured, you know, the nuance of it, that the, the tiny, tiny little component of it that was just a broken window or a, or a you know, a, 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 a basement fire, that articulated with a cock loft that caused a catastrophic, you know, explosion of fire. Somebody left the door open in an apartment or someone didn't close the door behind him or open the basement window. The, the ceiling, the ceiling drops, you know, and, and the, the list goes on and on. So, so for me, I think that that, that's one of the, that's one of the three big things we're going to be looking at what, and they're happening. What happened yesterday? We're, we're, we're seeing one a week, you know, and, and, I don't want, I don't want us to start noticing it the day we're going to a multiple line of duty death fatality or the day that we're burying 10 or 20 civilians. I don't want that to be the day that we say, gosh, I guess we should have been talking about this. And one of the things I think we, we're okay at, but we need to get better at, uh, I'm gonna take a little bit of a left-hand turn here. Uh, did you see, I know you probably saw the release Billy did about the arrests up in New York. Yeah. Um, about the for the inspectors for falsifying records, we'll figure out what all that how that all comes out. So it's not just an this goes back to our our five our five E's, right? This isn't this is part of that community risk pick, picture we reduction where we look at that code enforcement. Yeah, we'll plan for the response. We'll we'll bring extra people. 
But again, I say this all the time, I've never had to activate a RIT team for a fire that didn't happen, right? Or for a fire where we had good code enforcement and good protection so that it stayed small enough that again, it could be a can job rather than having to, uh, you know, stretch the big line uh, to, again, for the, for the, for the waterworks show uh, that, you know, everybody thinks is impressive, but again, did it need to happen, you know? Yeah. And, you know, and even if you have a robust uh, fire prevention bureau, you know, things happen, you know, the, right. the, we're human and, and, you know, a, a gal sweating pipe, you know, doesn't notice that a piece of solder, you know, hit the, hit the insulation or a, a, a well-meaning, you know, a barrel fire just because the, the troops are, you know, the construction guys are cold and a, an ember gets out. Things are always going to happen, and, and albeit with the best of intentions, and sometimes with no ill intent, because we're human, we're frail, and and, and um, you know, it's, it's, it, it, we're never going to live in a perfect world. It, it always, it always, see, it always seems to amaze me that the modern day folks want every risk in life to be mitigated to zero. You know, in other words, they they think that, and we're doing a pretty good job. Oh, there's Peter, he made it. We were looking for you earlier, Pete. You're late, but we'll, so we'll forgive you. But it's kind of fascinating to me that it, it, that the modern construct is that nothing bad should ever happen to anybody, you know. And and, and it's almost like the Homo Deus book. If you've read that uh, brilliant book by a young Israeli, I disagree with much of it, but a lot of it's wonderful. But the um, what the the point of it is is that people are, are are starting to think of themselves as little little gods, and they gotta freeze my brain and I'll live forever. Well, good luck with that. You know, you're gonna freeze anybody's brain. Start with Peter's. I've talked to the guy. It needs freezing. So I'm teasing you, Pete. Welcome aboard. So, but the the. How you doing, Chief? Hey, buddy. I'm good. Good. Always great to see you, my friend. Good to see you, my friend. So we're we're just talking about some of the big challenges. We're talking about the uh, toothpick palaces and the new, um, you know, modern day, um, uh, renovate kind of kind of this kind of this movement towards building these um, uh, modern day taxpayers is what I think they are. Because although you don't have the merchants living above like we did back in the day, uh, you, you still have mercantile first, you know, non-combustible mercantile first floor or parking garage. And then up you go with, you know, condos, all made of wood, which I think like are- Taxpayer on steroids. Yeah, taxpayers on steroids, yeah, yeah. You see those air replenishing systems taken off. Do you know what many communities that are really, even big cities that- Yeah, they, really just, Phoenix, Arizona has them. Uh, a couple of other places have them. There's a, you know, the, the, there, there are a few places I've been in. They're great to see on the outside of a building. Um, I think that, it's, so it's just, and what's funny too is that some of the folks say, well, you know, how often are the firefighters ever going to need to use it? And I'm like, well, how often are they using the standpipes in most cities? But we still have standpipes in all those buildings. And water's great, but I can go a long time without water. I can't go long at all without air. You know, I, I've never run across a firefighter who, who's, uh, who's, you know, alarm bells going off screaming, quick, give me a drink of water. You know, that, they're trying to breathe, so it, it, it's kind of a it's kind of a, a straw man argument, right? Well, they're not being used, yeah. But the day they are used is the day that some firefighter doesn't breathe smoke. With their value, and, and the problem with breathing smoke is twofold. Oftentimes, it, it kills you right there, drops you like third period French, 
and, and that's a terrible day. But the other side of it is when it kills you slowly, yep. like your third wife. I mean, it just just bites away, nibbles. It's like getting get nibbled to death by goldfish. That's what dying of can, from cancer is like. It's slow, it's tedious, it, and it becomes excruci excruciatingly painful. So, and, 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 and no disrespect to anybody's third wife or third husband. I, I didn't mean to disparage anybody that's done that. Peter, and you, you in particular, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I do have a buddy. I went to a wedding the other day, I swear to God, with a buddy who brought his fourth wife. And, and I was like, yeah, maybe it's you. I'm just gonna, just gonna throw it out there. Maybe it's you. So, and he's a former cop, so that tells you everything you need to know. Uh, we're not gonna go there. Right, exactly. Why would anybody marry a cop? Political sakes. Yeah. So, I think that's the number one thing I think physically that we're looking at. The second thing that I think we're going to be looking at physically, it has to do with um, natural gas. And, and how we're moving, I think, to, to natural gas in a, in a much broader way. And one of the guys leading the charge on this is a guy named Jerry Knapp. And if you don't know Jerry Knapp, Google Jerry Knapp, go to fireengineering.com. Jerry's written a couple of really great pieces on us on metal oxide detectors. And so, you know, when you've gone to a residential uh, gas leak or, or gas smell of gas in the area, and you know how you can smell the gas and you take out your four gas meter and you get nothing. You know what I mean? It's like, Dude, we must be okay because I'm not I'm not getting anything. Well, that's because that the, you need one of these uh, metal oxide detectors. You take out your metal oxide detector, and it's going to tell you you're in trouble. It's going to tell you no, no, that you're you're within the explosive range. So the the that's why the the folks from the gas company they never get blown up, but but we as firefighters routinely get jammed up. So I think you're going to see a lot more natural gas as, as we move through renewable fuels and all of this because it's the one um, renewable fuel that we have that's incredibly clean to use it's incredibly clean um, it's it's not at all like coal or oil natural gas and, and the united states has more of it than just about any place in the world and so uh, you're going to see you're going to see a big growth in this right you're going to see a lot of uh, communities moving over to it encouraging people to move over to it the problem with electricity is you've got to generate it somehow and so you're going to see gas you're going to see gas fired electrical plants but 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 you're also going to see a lot of communities just move towards gas and as we move towards these smaller um, nuclear plants in other words you're, you're going to see that what they're working on now in the energy world which is a fascinating world to and, and firefighters should be paying attention to this stuff they're talking about very small uh, uh, nuclear plants. I mean, very small ones that can power communities of, you know, 200,000 or 300,000, not, 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 not three mile islands and not, you know, we're not talking about nuclear power plants that, you know, do the Northeast coast. We're talking about nuclear power plants that are very small. And the reason that, the reason that seems to make sense to the people in, in that industry is because then it, should there ever be a failure, you have a much more restricted area that, that you have to worry about, right? right. And, 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 and nuclear issues, you know, I grew up in the age of the giant ants and the 50 foot man and the 50 foot woman. Remember all those goofy movies, Peter, that we watched? Cause, that, that, cause Spider-Man got nuclear, you know, nuclear radiation, he turns into, no. You know, that, that's- In my time, Chief. Right, well, <laughs> the problem is we're, we're raising a generation of people who have a hard time separating fact from fiction and understanding that there is an objective reality 
you know, we're, we're, we're almost convincing everyone that everything is subjective. Well, well no, there are, there are objective truths. You know, it's like people think, oh, you know, you, you, just get past that. Firefighters live in the world of objective realities. You, you know, if you're enamored with postmodernism and obscure language and fantasy, good luck. That's great for academia. Doesn't play out well on the fire ground. On the fire ground, it's gravity, physics, nature, energy, do your job. So I think that we're going to see a really growing awareness of, of, of uh, 3D firefighting, which is how you battle gas emergencies. I think that's going to grow. Uh, if you look at some of the energy sector work that we've been doing lately, whether it's you know the gas and chemical plant fires and things like that that we've been having around the country, I think those issues are going to be coming more um, pronounced in a lot of communities because these storage facilities and such are, are much more widespread across the continental United States than you'd think. And as we move towards, you know, smarter energy, those facilities are going to become more and more important to protect and, and understand. And obviously you guys are in that, in that directly in that field. So that's where I was going to go is if you look at, we do spend a lot of time in power plants uh, because anytime they need to go into a hole where they got to fix something, we're there to back them up. And, and then a bunch of other things that we do. So, but again, they are, they seem to be uh, a tight industry and obviously a lot of regulation. Now, having said that, and again, kind of going along with what you're saying, but depending on where that gas line is going through, that pressurized line is going through, where it's being generated, how it's being used, and the local regulatory, there's some federal stuff, obviously, that everybody has to do. But, you know, as we look at it up here in the Northeast, we're regulated pretty 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 heavily so when it comes to safety stuff there's a lot of contingencies that we we actually help out with and and prevention i should say that we help out with as we start spreading out though it, it, you know again if i'm going to go build a, a a large storage facility i'm not going to go someplace where there's a lot of uh, rules and a lot of extra expense i'm going to go someplace where there's maybe not so much and they're happy to have any development whatsoever in that space so again, that goes back to, you may have, you know, you may be ready for whatever your normal responses are for your, your you know, bread and butter, whatever. So, so you raise kind of an interesting point, and I'm just going to dovetail off of that. It, it would be, it would be useful to, to read um, Holnagel, uh, Decker, um, Ensley, Woods, the people who are now working with what's called safety differently or safety third. Um, now that that line of safety inquiry, it's also just about 10 years old because we went from the age of technology, right? You know, trains and such and heavy regulation. And then we went to the age of human factors where everything was human caused. And we still have some agencies and associations that are still lost and mired in that delusion. And, and now we've kind of moved into the age of safety management, if you will, right. is what they call it. And it's it's safety differently. And one of the things that they're finding is that more rules, more regulations may not be the answer, right? Um, redundant safety systems. Look at the Boeing 737 with this new you know, technology they put into that, albeit with the best of intentions. But how it interfaced with the other safety systems turned out to be catastrophic. Um, really at Three Mile Island, that was what happened there. You had two safety systems that didn't talk well to each other and, and, and that's what caused the problem there. So there's a lot of research being done on rules. And I'm not saying we, we, we should live in anarchy or not have rules, 
But what I am saying is, is that there, there, there almost becomes a point where uh, they, they actually get in their own way, right? Um, and, and there are also a point to where we, as we started the conversation, where people think that if we have enough rules, all risk is going to be mitigated to zero, and that is not going to happen. So, um, so I think that I think that that's a very, very interesting way to look at it. In other words. Where people choose to build right now, you're you're up in, in the Northeast. I, I live in, in in America in the lower in what I call the flyover states. We call it America, um, and and uh, not so much. So, but it's interesting, right? It's a different approach to life, and it's a different approach to management. And you know, I, I always it's interesting. I had this conversation with some guys and troops the other day. Just happened to all be guys. And they, they were saying, well, if you were in trouble and you were low on air, should you conserve your air and wait for somebody to come rescue you? Or should you, you know, fight like hell and try to self-rescue? And I was the only guy saying, oh no, I'm going to fight like hell and I'm going to do everything I can to get out of there. If I use up my air, I use up my air, but I'm not going to sit there and, and, and wait for somebody to rescue me. It's just like, I don't agree with the guys who are saying to attack a, and, and gals, they're saying attack a fire on tank water. I don't agree with that. If you have a if you have a plug, lay in, drop a, drop loop load it. You know, we used to call it looping a plug. You know, you just you just put a piece of webbing on the end of your your five or your four or whatever and a hydrant bag, and you just loop it and drive in and let you know. The, heck, it's so simple. The even a medic can hook up to the hydrant for God's sakes. I mean, you know, you know, you're you, any mouth breather can do that. So you could heck, you could probably train the cops to do it if you have. I was going to say, if you're, uh, maybe you're a bridge too enough. far. Maybe a bridge uh, too far. No, Sorry. if you're small enough, they know how to do that. You'd end up with a hydrant shot full of holes. I'm just kidding, <laughs> but you know what I mean. So you know, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't have that conversation, right? I had uh, uh, two of my friends on on a webcast because they wrote an article for me about just that. They think we should, you know, in order to save lives, it takes 30 seconds to catch a plug. Somebody could die in that 30 seconds. And I get it. But I think the incidents of that happening just don't just don't make me feel comfortable because I've seen a lot more fires where people have outrun their coverage trying to fight the fire on tank water. So I'm, I'm a I'm a I'm a catch a plug kind of guy. So it's the same kind of thing, right? It's safety third. In other words, if I'm going to rely on, if I'm engine one and I decide to go on tank water and I'm trusting engine two to lay in for me, give me my water, they could run over a squirrel and have to stop and do CPR, you know, pet CPR. What, and, and the, the, you know, something horrible could happen. And, and, and now I'm inside without water. And, and that's a big day. You know, when that happens to you, that's a big day. And, and not every fire is gonna just a you know size 13 door opener. You're inside, you know, 20 seconds later as a pull up. You know, the, the the fire you go to that's not the fire that's gonna be a one line fire is not the one you want to run out of water in. And so, but I think those discussions are worth having, right? I mean, I'm the last guy in the world to say let's not have the discussions. Matter of fact, I'm the guy that wrote published their article because I want to have that discussion. You know, and I don't believe in the false canard that people are, you know, being ordered to lay in that they they don't have an option. If you if you ride up and you see Throckmorton hanging out of the window, you go in on tank water. You know, don't don't take me wrong. I'm not saying if you you know if you really think you've got a rescue, go for the rescue. You know, but in my world, you probably wouldn't be stretching if you knew either. You'd be you'd be going for a rescue. 
and and the stretch would be to cover you as you came out right or something like that so i don't know that's another that's another piece of the argument but i think that's something else that the fire service kind of segues into my third thing that i was going to bring up is that we're can i add one thing to that chief sure. so i think but that's also why when we do a confined space standby right because we have somebody that's in doing whatever they're going to do before they go in we also make sure they're tuned up on how to self-rescue themselves and how right what what's the first thing you need to do notification blah 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 we're going to be right here what to expect from us so that again it because i could fall down and smack my head and now i got one less set of hands right so again it's part of that process is in that as you're doing the job brief and again we don't get to do job briefs start job job briefs or firehouse table reviews but you know when we go into there the advantage we have is we have this conversation before anything happens as to what you're going to do you can't do that on the fire ground necessarily but if you have a problem if you have the same set of procedures and then but you have to let the guys deviate if that's what the officers are there for right if they they know what they're supposed to do but if they have to do something a little different to solve the problem so you know what a post-mortem is right after the patient dies oh, yeah. the doctors try to figure out what killed them the dr klein uh, picked it up i think from the navy the navy do what are called pre-mortems so before you do something you figure out all the ways doing this could kill you and then right. you try to avoid that right so if you do a pre-mortem it works out a whole lot better for the patient than the post-mortem exactly. so if you're potentially the patient you want the pre-mortem and not the post-mortem Right? Another so we call big those, piece of research I did. We but, do all those pre-plans. What could go wrong here, right? right? What could possibly happen that would screw us up and screw them up? So the, the third part kind of goes right in there with the safety third idea, right? The, but it kind of, it, it kind of goes, it, it almost sounds like it's an, an oppositional idea, right? We, we, we've, been, we've grown up uh, in the age of fire ground command and, and I helped Alan write the second edition. I'm very proud I've done that. But one part of it is completely wrong. And that would be the book, the, the purpose of the book. In other words, the purpose of the book was that the first two arriving officers should assume command and yada, yada, yada. Okay, no. The, the, the first arriving officer should size it up, report what he has. Command should be whoever command is. And, and command could be people back in a dispatch center today. As elegant as our technology, most of our technology is mini cams, helmet cams, cams on rigs. You know, now we've got people who, you know, we've got information centers where people can take cell phones. There's a good thing, a program called Good Sam that they're using down in, in San Antonio, Texas, where they can actually hook right into somebody's cell phone and see the patient and treat the patient before the medics even get there, get things going. And they do the same thing with fires. So what I'm saying is with everything we're learning about how people's cognitive bandwidth goes, we know, we know that from, from all the research that most individuals are good for about four decisions. When there's limited time, high stakes, limited information, uh, pressure, and limited resources, you can make about four decent decisions. And then you're just making shit up after that. You, you'll, 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 you'll give old mnemonics, you'll, you'll say anything to fill the dead air but you're really not making great decisions, good decisions. And we know that for fact. What we also know is if you add one other voice, we'll bring in one other peer to help you make those decisions, that the quality of the decisions and the amount of decisions that you can make go up exponentially. 
It's the old more fingers on the knife, right? Um, and so, but we don't do that on the fire ground. When we wrote fire ground command, the whole thing was the first do. Well, think about the one poor person. You're standing there, it's two o'clock in the morning. You got people yelling at you. You got fire coming out of two or three windows. You've got rigs pulling in and you're supposed to be able to stand back and say, you know, engine one, assuming command at walk and don't walk. I've got a blue late model 50s home with a beautiful fountain in the front. The feng shui was designed by Miller and Sons, and you can see the facade painted a beautiful mauve. However, at this point, the fire seems to be extending to you. Engine one to engine two, I'd like you to lay engine one to truck three. When you arrive in three minutes, the fire will probably have progressed. You don't know where the fire is going to be in three minutes, and you can't think that far ahead. The first two officer is worried about where the fire is, if people are endangered, where's water's coming from, where to spot that rig and what to do with his crew. So he's already way past four, you know, and, and to expect him to then be able to project into the future. If you were Stephen freaking Hawkins, you couldn't do that. And the dude's dead anyway. But, you know, put your modern day genius in there. I was going with um, between. For, 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 for me, it would be uh, probably Nassim Tlaib. For Pete, it would be Joe Biden. So it ain't going to work. I, I think how to go there, Pete. I had to throw you under the bus. Couldn't happen. The I, I yeah, that's why I like the team. And we talked about this. I like the team concept, right? That's what we did. If the, the first guy is going to inherit it, the next guy, and if you have the same players coming all the time, a lot of times they're very comfortable with whatever they may have to do. Because you can't look at everything. You, you just can't. You just so can't. If you, want, if you want to talk about leadership, that's the big Gordian knot to untie, right? In other words, if we're going to go around saying that the first, and I've been saying it for about the last 10 years, if the first do doesn't assume command, how do you, how does your system then manage that? But if you think about it, some of the more refined systems, FDNY, Boston, Chicago, those folks don't assume command. Now they always say, well, they got a guy in a buggy, you know, 30 seconds away. And that used to be the other part of the riddle was, well, you can't assume command till you're there. Really? Why? Why? Why can't you assume command till you're there? Now, if you're a good commander, you're not saying take an inch and three quarter line with an inch and an eighth tip, you know, advance 300 feet of line, take a, that's not what you do. You just say engine one, stretch a line, you know, engine 36, pull a backup line. You're not given, you're not given, you know, so that argument falls apart pretty quickly too. But the argument about having, uh, so I think in the future, we're going to see information processing, command assistance centers build up inside of our dispatch to where when engine 36 rolls up, I've got a working fire in a you know four story residential. It, well, like I said, engine 36, stand by. We pulled up the plants for that. Engine 36, stand by. You know, command level Barome is here, and he's going to, you know, he's going to assist you with with the placement. We we're in touch with engine 42. They're you know 22 seconds behind you. You know, we've got tr truck 11 and truck 26. You know, truck 11, truck 26. There's an alleyway on the corner. Walk and don't walk. So you're going to see that integration happening with the technology. Here's what we can't do though, without. Okay, and the, and the best example I can give is the old Apollo 13 movie. All of that's well and good when it's working. Technology is great until it's working. And then when it's not, it's not. Right. And, and then you better know how to do oriented search. You better know how to use a piece of paper and a pencil. You better know how to talk on the radio. You better know how to, you know, do hand signals, you know. Uh, it's, and I'm serious. 
you know, we, you know, nowadays our face pieces are Bluetooth and with this and that, which is great. And, and I'm glad it's doing it, but we ought to drill regularly with it all just going to, to hell in a handbasket. You know, remember the Apollo 13 movie, the guy takes all the computers and throws them off the table. That's a trip. Goes over to the chalkboard, draws the earth, draws the moon, says our guys are here. <laughs> we want them here. And, and, and they go to work. If and, you remember, and, if you remember back in the day, uh, FDNY would go to Bell's like on Saturdays or something. They, or once a month or every other week, they would go to Bell's just to keep the, because back then the Firestar or whatever it was when was having all kinds of problems. But if, if everything went to crap, the Bell's could work, you know? Right. And, exactly. And, uh, I, Dispatch I, centers today, I hope, still routinely drill with, okay, priority dispatch is down, the computers are down, here's a street map, here's a pad, a legal pad, here's a legal pad, do your job. I probably watched, I probably watched too much YouTube. And one of the, one of the things that I see a lot is you have- But you're lucky, Nick, because the titles don't appear on the bill when you leave the hotel. <laughs> Good joke. Wrong Write it down, that's a keeper. Not on this computer. <laughs> um, so, but you'll see, you'll see companies like you say, uh, we're on scene, blah, 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 we're stretching and they go, right? So the boss gets there, he's counting heads. I've seen other ones where the boss is still in, uh, in route and the boss starts telling the company officer what to pull and, and what to get there. Or he's sitting there and he's, instead of just saying, get a line to the second floor or get a, I mean, actually I think the, the officer could probably figure out what floor, but maybe there's something the, the chief knows or the boss knows, but they're like, take an inch and three quarter up the bottom. And, up. and it's like, why are you paying this guy, you know, whatever thousand dollars a year to, to run the rig if you don't have confidence that he's going to. That's, that's how we're, that's how we're teaching people in these training sessions. It's a, we're teaching them to do this rote deal where they, do this mnemonic, you know what I mean? And, um, you know, the, the, and the problem with it is it's the illusion of, of thought. It's the illusion of command and control and it's the absence of, of real processing. Right. So, you know, we just lost, we just lost, uh, an icon, Mike Grant and Mike Grant was, uh, did a, uh, a video with PJ, uh, down on, uh, initial hose stretching. And again, the importance of just getting the first line in back to what you said before, I find that if you put the fire out, things get a lot better and maybe you are supposed to be doing something else, but if that, and Mike said, he doesn't care if it's a garden hose. But again, the, the intent is if you get, if you get that first line in place, a lot of things should get better. And then you could have someone else and then the, the second team can go do what they were going to do or stay with you and you throw someone else into the into the game to get that other one that you yeah. have to give the company officers some responsibility but i think it's time so alan brunacini once wrote in 1967 before a promotional exam that if something's been done a certain way for 20 years that alone is probably enough indication that it should be done differently well alan brunacini wrote fire ground command in the second edition in 1984 yeah. And so that's a lot more than 20 years. So now we're talking close to 40 years that we've been doing this, you know, the first do will assume command. Now, I'm not saying that the first do shouldn't give a good size up. I'm not saying that the first do shouldn't, you know, 
have an air of command and control about them, you know, and, and a presence. But what I am saying is, is that if it's a complex, multi-unit, multi-dimensional fire, we're far better served to have some kind of uh, support team, some kind of collaborative command process that's managed, you know, by people who are not constrained to a script or a mnemonic or anything like that. In other words, they're just experienced people from that community that have access to information and communication that can help to support the person making decisions. We had a guy, so I had a senior advisor, uh, the, 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 the Connecticut folks remember named Ronnie Samuel, who's the fire chief in New London. I'm, I got a third alarm going, I'm burning down um, old, old school uh, building. And, and I looked over to him and I said, well, you've done this uh, more times than me. <laughs> what am I forgetting? And he said, no, you didn't forget anything. And he didn't take it as an insult at all, because I was literally asking him to pluck his mind from his experience, because they had a lot more brick buildings over where he worked and lived than I did where I worked and lived. And, and experience can work against us too. In other words, you know, one of the problems with experience is it, it creates patterns, right? And, and people right. think based on pattern recognition, it's, it's how the brain works, right? And we yeah. learn certain patterns from youth and they just continue to evolve and, and evolve and evolve and evolve. And, and, and it's, you know, people call it reading body language. And the more uh, aware you are of your surroundings, the, the, the more astute you are, the more erudite you are. So when you meet someone who's really elegant and really poised, it's generally because they're very, um, they're very focused, but they're also very broadly aware, right? And whether it's IQ, EQ, whatever you want to call it, social intelligence, it's the same thing with firefighting, right? You develop a certain amount of erudite intelligence, awareness that you bring to every fire. But what happens to many of us is that we go to a lot of, you know, single story or two story residential fires, fire to fire, it's inch three quarter pre-connect, you pull it first, boom, you go in. And then all of a sudden you're outside of a Walmart or you're outside of a, you know, uh, a, a mid-rise or whatever. Okay. Well, so what you did the last 300 fires isn't going to work here. And, and that's a big day. And I'm not disparaging anybody that the most important fire we go to is the single family residential fire, period. And, you know, because that's where we save most of the lives that we save. So I'm not, I'm not, but what I am saying is that if we practiced better communication, better command. So if you think of Stanley McChrystal's team of teams, the reason the team of teams concept worked against an asymmetric, what was called asymmetric warfare, right? Non-conventional warfare is because it allowed the people closest to the problem to make supported decisions, not independent decisions, but supported decisions, not, not get permission to do something, but to inform others of what they were doing so that everyone understood what the consequence to what they were doing or what they may not know based upon what they do know. Because the, the big disconnect when we do our AARs is we know the ending. And the problem with the human mind is we, we then think that everything that led up to it was causal or, it, you know, or this happened and this happened and this happened. And that's not true. A lot of things were happening simultaneously. And people always say, well, it's like the links in the chain. If you take the one link out, then the accident wouldn't happen. That's bullshit. It, it, you know, the, the, we don't have chains anymore. 
You know, we're not, there's very few chain driven automobiles out there anymore. Hell, motorcycles have bands now. They don't have chains, they're not chain driven. So now it's much more complex. And I think that it, the fire service is slowly evolving to that level, right? And, and a lot of it's going to be technology driven. And I'm not saying that's good or bad or right or wrong, but it is. And we can use it, but we should never abandon being just as proficient without the technology. So those are my three big things. I want to just add on to the McChrystal thing, because when he did that, he like broke the mold, right? I mean, when, when, when he had this, you know, tremendous job to do, he had a lot of talent and it, and it just wasn't being worked right. It just wasn't it, because it was different than traditional ways. So what he said is I'm going to empower those leaders to make decisions on the ground and go with it. And, and I mean, if you, uh, for the viewers, if you get a chance, there's a ton of McChrystal on YouTube. He talks exactly about what Bobby is saying, where he used to have a briefing and, and he used to have like everybody, I mean, everybody from the Pentagon to the Southern command, to the guys in the, in the, in the sand, all on the same page, all working together. But again, it, it was, and then, and, uh, but they were all empowered to move independently too. Right. In other right. words, if you were if you were a, a, a second lieutenant out there, you know, with a and with your with your troops, or you were a, a you know a young ensign even, you, you could call the ball, and he was good with that. You know, right. as as long as you you know communicated it, as long as you assessed it, you know, to the best of your ability, as long as you shared enough information or took enough information, it, it Talib describes it as having skin in the game. You know what I mean? In other words, it's, it's easy for the guy out in the car, you know, to call, the, you know, say, well, I think you ought to do this. It's a whole other thing if you're a guy, the guy or the gal advancing the hand line, you know what I mean? Because the person on the hand line has skin in the game. You know, things go horribly wrong. It's your butt, you know, for the person in the car, oh, you know, it's a, it's, it's paperwork. So. Yeah. There's a lot, there's, there's an awful lot to be said for the early uh, Bernicini halt. Uh, Bobby Halton, uh, Incident Command, uh, you know, uh, I, I think all the ingredients were there. I mean, it, it allows you to expand, it, it allows you to do the unified command. It, you know, sometimes uh, we do change just for the sake of change. And Thank you, for the, with, thank you uh, for the defense, Pete, seriously. Yeah, you know, we, we saw that with, uh, you know, good old Lloyd Wyman, you know, we, we burned his books and we called him a heretic and, uh, and you know, uh, 50 years later, uh, we're digging him up and we're, uh, if you find his books, they're worth a lot of money now and, uh, and, and NIST and, and UL have, uh, have proven that a lot of his theories were correct. And well, Pete, when we came on, and we both came on around the same time, the rookie always got what job? Door control. You, you, you held the door closed, and then we got such, our bunker gear got so much better, we didn't do that anymore. But back back then it was door, you had, you had a door control assignment. That was a routine assignment. So, and I'm not saying throw out everything from fire ground command. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that pieces of it need to evolve, right? We need to challenge some of those constructs so that we, so that we, so that if you're afraid to change, that's a problem, right? So, and a lot of folks are, and, and just because Alan's name on it doesn't mean it's the Bible. You know, I'll be the first one to tell you, hey, make it better. 
you know, make it better. And, 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 and you are right. It's, you know, for Lloyd Lehman's stuff, if you can compartmentalize a fire and just like an attic fire and just get enough mist in there, do a piercing nozzle, good for you. You know, it beats the heck out of tearing a hole in the roof and trying to chase it around with lines. So the, but we tend to look for that silver bullet, right? You know, it's a, no one's ever right. No one's ever completely wrong. You know what I mean? It's a, it's a fascinating thing. And I love when you get some knucklehead, usually a politician who says something stupid, like, well, the science is settled. Well, then obviously you don't know the definition of the word science, you moron, because the definition of the word science means continually questioning, you know, the, the, the assumptions. So science can never be settled. You know, the, there's two things that can never be settled, an argument with your wife and science. Just kidding. I, think, I love I the think, wife uh, joke. I'm old enough to make wife jokes. Isn't that great? Young guys can't make wife jokes. I've been, married, the, I've been married for One of the interesting years. things is that, that Pete, probably has a, Pete probably has a couple books signed by Lloyd Lehman in his, in his library there. I've got Lloyd's books. Uh, you know, I, well, no, it, 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 listen, everything that goes around comes around. And I think all we, all we need to do is just be open to look at, there is no absolute 100% this is how it works. They're, okay, so the, I'll, I'll, I'll pull in. I'll pull in. I forgot your daughter's name. I apologize, John. You... Jamie. Jamie. It's Jamie. Jamie, you're probably the only one here who could answer this question because it's a fan, a, a fashion sense question. Okay, clearly, I'll try. clearly, I'm looking at these four knuckleheads and they can't answer it. But right now, are men's ties wide or are they thin? I feel like they're getting thinner. Getting thinner. Ah. Okay. But they were thin before they got wide, right? Yes. Yeah, my old man told me 70, well, 65 years ago, never throw out your skinny ties. Ties back. can do two things. Wide, thin, wide, thin. That's it. And it's just the problem almost the same with everything in life, right? You know what I mean? It, it really is. So, you know, it, it, it's a, it, it's a, this is the greatest profession in the world because you know, there's so many other places in the world where we can have these conversations, right? We, we can challenge our, our sacred cows. We can we can look at things and it's not right or wrong or good or bad. It doesn't make you a good person or a bad person. Unlike the modern day construct, the one thing I love about the fire service is we haven't politicized it yet. You know, they've politicized policing, they've politicized everything else in life except firefighting, thank God. You know, we, we're, we're currently apolitical. And, and that's why we're still allowed to have these conversations like this. Once the postmodernists get a hold of us, we're screwed, you know, it, but, but fortunately we deal with concrete objective reality and, and that's hard to screw with. You know what I mean? It's a, it's the, the world just is what it is and, and you have to deal with it. And, and that's what firefighting fundamentally is about. So I, I really think that the three big ones are going to be how we deal with uh, basically gas emergencies. Cause I see the proliferation of gas in my mind in the next 20 years to be really, really huge. I, I think that the electric vehicles will go only so far and then yeah. people will be looking at compressed natural gas and, and, ga and, 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 and as a fuel alternative to liquefied gas, right? Because it's a, it's a much easier conveyance and, and I just see it moving that way. At least that's a, and I'm a car guy, so that's kind of my feeling. And, and it was there for a while. Remember Boone Pickens was really pushing it for a while and, and then it kind of got displaced. But there's always those early adopters who are out there, right? And, and it's fascinating. History will look, I think, well on him for that. I think he was 
way ahead of his time on those predictions, and, and then it got pushed back. I, I don't think you're gonna. I don't. I don't think the the electric car is a second. It's a secondary use of power. So the power, as you guys know, has already gone through processing, and then it's been reprocessed, and then reprocessed. It's like refried, refried beans. You know, you, it, it's it, and and that and that all diminishes the the uh, potency of that energy. And then if you go and store it into a battery for more subsequent use, that's even a further dilution of it. So it's it's interesting in terms of the well, of the math, right? The other the other thing, Bobby, my understanding is it doesn't go away. I mean, once you you do particularly the lithium, once you use it all up, now you have this hunk of metal that you can't just put in the dump. The other thing that's interesting, did you see that 35, was it Texas, 35,000 gallons they put on that that car? They one Tesla, one, one Tesla. Yeah, they called up Tesla and said, what are we gonna do? And they, they I don't know what the answer was. More water. Know, you know, just 35,000 gallons of water. Think about that, that was in the parking lot. You know, the young lady who just took over the Tesla fire, uh, you know, emergency services uh, outreach program uh, contacted <laughs> me and I said, I'd, I'd love to have you come out and let's burn a couple of Teslas together. And she said, well, we're working on that. We're <laughs> yeah, bring the crash rig for the purple K. I don't know. Just, and, and that's so, but that's another piece of the whole power issue, right? If we're going to have these high voltage cars with these high voltage charging stations start, starting to come into residential homes, that's a big hazard, right? And, and and you know, stopping that power flow is going to be a big day. And we, we when I came on, we used to pull the meters, and enough firefighters got shocked and hurt and killed and burnt that we stopped doing that. So if you're going to have an energized structure, a garage fire now that could have an energy source, you know, it, it, it which could be powered by solar shingles or whatever. And now you have these Tesla roofs. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but Tesla makes a solar panel uh, configuration that just looks like a normal roof. And, and the panels are hidden kind of inside the shingle. So you can't even tell there's panels on that roof. So you could have a completely energized home that you, the de-energizing is gonna be a big day, right? And then if you start getting storage units, in other words, batteries, you know, lithium batteries inside, it'd be like having an ESS you know, area within the home. And now we have, you know, high rise buildings that have ESS floors where you have battery storage across the 10th, 8th, 15th floor, you know, and, and, and we really haven't seen, you know, how that, that's going to play out in terms of structural firefighting. If you haven't had to deal with a fire in a telephone <laughs> transfer station, right, where they have, they have the generator and then they have, the, again, the whole, underneath the whole floor, our batteries because that they don't want that to go down it's very very difficult to isolate those to isolate those particularly in a good day with no gear on and no smoke in that atmosphere. we had our conversation earlier about fars and if you look at the most one of the most devastating fires in the history of the fdny was the 1973 at&t fire right and almost to the to the man and they were all men at that fire they've all developed some of the most horrific cancers you could imagine. It's a, absolutely that's absolutely correct. Ma Bell was a uh, was a disaster. Yeah, and then they and they couldn't. If I remember, they couldn't clean that building. I think they, I think they spent a gazillion dollars trying to clean that building up. Well, my good friend Danny Noonan, who's uh, um, been speaking out about that, and it was at that fire. He's got eight or nine different cancers now, and he's yeah. fighting for his life right now in a hospital and. 
and he's been battling cancer since the 80s and uh, um, and, and along with almost every other firefighter that that fought that fire and and we didn't know right we, we the God bless Dr. Wallace, Dr. Deborah Wallace, who wrote in the mouth of the dragon, why today's spies are more dangerous, fighting fire in the age of plastics. She wrote it in 1990. She did a great job of, of uh, re reviewing that fire. She also did the uh, Ramada Inn fire. She did the Yonker Brothers furniture fire. She, 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 uh, she really looked at the toxicity and heat release rates and, and what all that means to us as firefighters. And, and she wrote that in 1990. And, and, and so even though it's, you know, 30 years later for her book, you know, 40 some odd years later for Danny's fire, we're still at the beginning of the beginning. You know, in other words, uh, our modern day construct of time is, well, that, you know, oh, that's so 90s. Seriously? You know, uh, I think today looks more like the 1700s than everybody, oh, today's like 1930. No, it's more like the 1700s. Take a hard look at the 1700s. We look a lot more like the 1700s than we do like the 1930s right now. In, in terms of historical, uh, you know, uh, analogies and, and and comparables, and I think it was—I don't know who said it. It was either um, it was either Disraeli, um, anyway, who said that history may not repeat itself, but it certainly rhymes. You know what I mean? And so you can look at the the ebb and flow of history and mankind, and and for the fire service and, and humanity in general, we're kind of in the 1700s, right? The internet is kind of like you know the print press and and you know, the, the getting the word out. Everybody can everybody can be a rock star today. Everybody's a, a pundit. Everybody's a anybody who's got a camera and a and a, a screen can go. You know, be uh, be whatever they want to be. And so they are. And and there's an upside and a downside to that. And the fire service is going to start have to deal with that too. How do you filter out the gibberish from the actual decent conversation? You know, how do you? And and I'm not saying we should start qualifying people because I think all voices should be heard but it's going to be interesting, right? It's going to be very interesting. Only Bobby Hoffman can bring Benjamin Disraeli into this conversation. <laughs> it's awesome. They listen, so I do want to do a shameless, because we're talking about getting the word out. Uh, we were actually, actually you were doing, a, I think you may have been talking at the, at the instructors where you talked about, we had, when you did your first, um, push or present your FDIC's first presentation on flow path you booked the big room and you had what 14 people in the audience 11 11 how many years ago was that 15 so 15 years ago and then and and that's where I want to go so 15 years ago 11 people came into that room Several years ago, I was down in the fire academy and I went to the free publications room because I like that place. And I got this, the DVD on all the stuff that they did in New York and Chicago. And uh, I took a look at that and it was, it was 10, 50, it was 10, 11 years old. And, and, and it was the hot subject a few years ago. So then I went back to the essentials and I started seeing that the whole concept of flow path was in the essentials for two or three editions. But, well, but you know, it's funny you should bring that up because recently that, that some reading and people are always going to steal your stuff. Right. So there's this British guy writing. And of course, he's a British guy. So the guy's writing 
on the event of a fire, it's often been noticed that the fire can sometimes articulate and move in interesting directions. In other words, a door or window having been left open will allow the fire to articulate from the first floor to the third floor. And this is generally because of what he called to be, um, I think he called them uh, not, not flow paths, but uh, air currents or whatever. And these islands, so, so basically just ripping off, you know, and then I'd like, the guy's name was Braidwood and he wrote it in 1883. <laughs> So if some might have gotten it in the 60s, but there was a cat sitting in England. He was the, he was the commissioner of the London Fire Brigade who wrote about air currents. And, and, and so in physics, we came up with the term flow path. It would be nice if we just used the term. So you have cool air gravity currents and warm air gravity currents, right? And they're always going to be passing. It's how you look at weather, right? You have the cool air and the warm air. So the warm air is always rising and it's moving high. And the cool air is always coming in because the energy from, from the fires is pulling it, right? So, you know, the Ben Franklin, when he built the Franklin freaking stove, <laughs> had that in the diagram that he sold with the Franklin freaking stove. And, and, and although he was the father of the American Fire Service, people might want to remember that he built the Franklin freaking stove in about 1720. Maybe right. 17. Speaking, uh, speaking about Fopath, uh, Chief, I don't know if you, you already, uh, I think Jeff Morset is aboard here, uh, that uh, PJ Norwood just got appointed as the uh, Connecticut yeah, director. Talk about it. So well, was, you know, it, it's obviously every organization makes mistakes from time to time. This will probably go down as one of Connecticut's, I'm just kidding. Uh, we, we talked about it earlier. He's a, he's such a wonderful guy and a great, great leader and a wonderful uh, person. He's, uh, what I like about PJ is he's passionate, but he's not an ideologue. In other words, he'll, he'll, he'll grab onto an idea, you know, like a, like a, like a bulldog on a bone, but you know, he's also open to, you know, query and he's open to, you know, okay, I believe this, but I could be wrong. You know what I mean? He's got just the right amount of humility, uh, to be a good boss, the right amount of conviction and the right amount of humility. I can't remember the abbreviation of the of the uh, Facebook on the YouTube uh, deal or Facebook deal that they do. But again, it's like I'm going to show you some stuff on a video. This is what I think. If if you think something else, like you said, let's talk about it. Let's figure it out. Doesn't have to be. We get into these fights. This is the thing, Bobby, that upsets me. We get into these fights that you always have to do it this way. You always have to do it this way. Listen, we're in a and, and, and P grew up in the same world, kind of, is we're in the transitional world. We've been using transitional attack before it was called transitional attack. Everybody was. Everybody was. Right? Go put the Everybody fire was. Let's figure we're, this out. Give it a dash. Darken it down. I mean, there were yeah. a million different terms for it, right? I can't tell you how many times they stood in the street in, in New York at a brownstone and the, the basement or the ground floor is going. The first thing the officer did is he broke the glass and he shot water in there. What's cool. the opening scene in what's the opening scene in Backdraft? Yeah. And they filled that fire documentary in the 70s, for God's sakes. <laughs> you know. You're gonna have a lot of people with the open chest, but that's another story. <laughs> that's another hey, I'll tell you what, that, that movie did a lot of good for the fire service. It really did. And and yeah. and it continues to. And 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 uh, the, and my hat's off to those folks who who did that. They were they did they did a wonderful job i got a chance to meet that actor fellow um who was the star of that thing one time in a grocery store of all places in new mexico he had just gotten done filming another movie 
and I couldn't, I can't think of his name now. Russ? Yeah, so I'm there with my kids, and we're buying some Russell. groceries. Uh, was it what? What's his name? Kurt Russell. Yeah, that's the guy. So we're we're, uh, we're buying groceries. We're camping down there. We had a little condo down there, and we're, we're, at this time we're, we're I think we're still camping. Anyway, we have, I have my two little boys and a shopping cart full of you know marshmallows and crap, and a guy's behind me with just two bottles of tequila. And, <laughs> and so I said, "Well, pal, go ahead." And I look at the guy and I, I look. I'm like, "Is he on the job? You know what I mean? Because you look familiar." And I said, uh, "I know you." And he goes, "I, you know, I, I, I'm a." Uh, uh, I've done some acting. And it's real, real quiet like that. And I kind of look at him and say, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. I said, uh, you, you're the guy, you're, you're uh, the movie guy. Uh, and he goes, yeah, yeah, I'm, you know, Kurt Russell. I'll backdraft, I love that movie. And so he's talking to him. And, and I said, I'm a, I'm a real fireman, I'm a real fire guy. And, and so he was laughing, you know, and we had a nice conversation. He just got done filming um, uh, the, the Western movie, um, uh, Tombstone. Okay. And they were having, they were, he was down there with friends and he knew there were a lot of rich people down there. So he was down there with rich people. And uh, that was my, that's my brush with greatness. I got <laughs> the, the, close, the, I said, the grocery line. line, grocery line with the, and that's back before he had cameras. I mean, we, we didn't have cell phones. I don't even know if cell phones were even invented back then. It was a long time ago. Close as I ever came. My boys are in their forties. We're little guys. <laughs> me, and, me and John were up at the New York show and I keep walking by this guy who's hawking safety equipment. Uh, for fire police, and I can't figure out what it was. And finally, I said, "Dude, I know you from somewhere." He goes, "Yeah, I was the guy they introduced interviewed in the Detroit uh, series on YouTube." <laughs> so remember the Detroit Fire Department? They had those guys they interviewed the whole way through you there. Do, you do that know, was this, you do know uh, that YouTube's owned by the most evil corporation in the world, right? I don't even know who owns it. Anytime a corporation tells you that "do no harm" is their motto, they're bad people. <laughs> yeah, Mao Zedong used the same motto. Yeah, don't doesn't end well. They're bad. They're bad people. Just saying. Just saying. Just, Just saying. saying. I don't do Google. I don't do YouTube. Don't do Facebook. I stay away from bad people. Well, staying away from Facebook is probably a good thing for. Yeah. But... Washington said, "Associate with persons of good character. It's better to be alone than to be in bad company." There you go. So, I'm with Washington. I got, him. I got him over here. I've got other presidents on this wall, Peter. I've got Lincoln and Ronald Reagan. Uh, Ronald Re I would expect Ronald Reagan to be on your wall, my friend. I've got three Republicans, and I've got and I've got Washington up on that wall. Just, well, listen, let's, uh, Washington, Washington was my favorite president, <laughs> and he hated political parties. If you read, he, he did two 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 of his most important writings. If you want to read some good Washington, is his farewell address, which which most people have read. Where he admonishes people to he hated political parties he he said there will be the undoing of the union and i believe he was right and he also uh, he wrote the circular letter which a lot of people haven't read and the circular letter what, what made it so famous was he outlined how our government should look and so they used that when they wrote the constitution madison basically used much of that circular letter to formulate his thinking on how to put the three branches and you know, the distribution of powers and checks and balances. Washington wrote that. I mean, Washington was a much deeper thinker than people gave him credit for. And, and uh, just remember, Chief, that Ron Reagan uh, started out as a union president. He was a he was a he was a, he was a bedwetting liberal, for goodness sakes. Just kidding. So just listen, kidding. one of the reasons I want no to disrespect to my other bedwetting liberal friends. 
Listen, one of the reasons we wanted to have you on uh, this month was you've got- As you may have guessed, Peter and I have really opposing political views well, and we absolutely theory. love one another. And you're very comfortable. Absolutely, absolutely. No, we, we unconditionally love one another. And we have to go to the coffee trade again and, uh, yeah. and our, uh, our, our Marine friend. Uh, Jeffer Jefferson once said that a man's <laughs> politics, ideology, or religion is no reason for me not to be his friend. There you go. And I would add, they're not going to go down. Any, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I don't want to go down the whole road of, of the friendships that have broken up over the last few years. But anyway, what I do want to do, one but of the those weren't those weren't those weren't a smart people or real friendships. There you go. If if you're gonna if you're gonna not be someone's friend because of who they support politically, you're a moron. Right, friends are friends. You're an absolute moron. But what I would like to Alan do... Bernstein and I, Peter was more. Peter was a you're his political you're a political clone of Bruno. Another shallow thinker. Just kidding. <laughs> well, listen, hey, you're taking away my story here. So, uh, but what I would like to do, you've got like you got this little event coming up in a few weeks. You got thirty five thousand people coming for lunch. Uh, we did want to have you come in June to still uh, give you another opportunity for a shameless plug for the largest training event uh, in the United States. So why don't you take a few minutes to do that? Because uh, it is still time. You can still register. Yeah, if you want to do hot training, those classes are starting to sell out. We have a couple that I think sold out today. Um, so if you do want to do the hands-on, that always sells out fast. Everything else is kind of open seating. Um, so the conference side, don't worry about that. But there's still hotel rooms. Remember, it's summer school. So it's it's what the reason we moved it to these dates is because nothing else is going on. And so we've got a lot more hotel rooms available. So, you know, the, the troops can get downtown. Um, there's no um, there, there's no COVID restrictions. They, they ended all that stuff yesterday. So, you know, you, you don't have to worry about social distancing or wearing face diapers or any of that stuff. You can hug people and all that good stuff again. So. Uh, th th that's nice. Um, we've got 200 uh, classrooms planned. We've got 70, 70 or 80 workshops. Um, we've got 21 hands-on training classes. The uh, Fool's Bash is still on. The Union Party is on. The Fun Run is on. The Stair Climb is on. The, um, what am I missing? Uh, Comedy Night for the Cancer Support Network is on. Uh, Travis Howes is going to be speaking. Talking about backdrafts, Steve Chikorotis, who was the subject matter expert, he was lieutenant at the time in the Chicago Fire Department for backdraft. He is going to be keynoting. He's also the subject matter expert and the actor who plays Chief Walker on Chicago Fire. He's a producer of Chicago Fire. He's going to be our keynoter. And then uh, that's day one. On day two, Connecticut's own John Austin. Saying, he's, going John's our, going, right? he's going to be our featured speaker, followed by the Conley brothers. If you don't know the Conley brothers, uh, one of them's a firefighter. Larry's a firefighter. is a captain in the city of St. Louis. And his brother, David, is a, a nationally acclaimed actor, playwright, and, and um, a producer. And Dave, the two of them have a program called GLUE, Grow, Growing Leaders Through Empowerment. And um, they, they also do tremendous leadership stuff. And what David brings to it is an ability to, as an actor, as an incredible actor, he can do these role plays where, you know, you, you forget that you're role playing. I mean, he draws you in, right? To where, you know, you gotta tell guys not to smack him in the puss. No, we're, we're, we're pretending here, you know, no, no, no fisticuffs. So they're gonna do, they're gonna do uh, an incredibly powerful lecture um, that uh, about um, interpersonal dynamics, 
and leadership. So as a keynote, and it's going to be phenomenal. It's our first team keynote ever at FDIC. Next year, we're going to have um, from Traditions Training, Doug Mitchell, FDNY, and Dan Shaw. They're going to do a, a, another team keynote and Frank Viscuso for 2022. Nice. So I'm, I'm always planning. So right now I'm thinking about who it's going to be for 2023. So the, the folks we're going to do in 2023, I don't know what we're going to do there yet. I haven't completely unwrapped it in my head, but that that's where we're at. So if you want to catch summer school, the 2021 summer school edition of FDIC, and remember the, the I attended a lot of summer school. I'm not going to say all the reasons why, but uh, I attended a lot of summer school and it was always a great experience. It, it was always awesome because you met cats that you never met before. You know what I mean? Uh, and, it, and it was generally, um, I don't know how to put it, but it was generally a looser crowd. You know what I mean? It was generally a looser crowd and, and the instructors were somewhat more um, effective because if you were in summer school, it was usually a reason. It was, it was a corrective activity. So uh, we're approaching it with the same attitude. And if you're worried about safety, we've tripled our safety measures. We've got some of the most elegant safety people who are doing multiple sessions on rehabdo and heat stress. We've got multiple physicians who will be on duty with us every day. We've doubled our ambulances. We've doubled our, uh, you know, we've, we've got cooling tubs at every site. We've got tents. So we've left no st stone left unturned in terms of safety. But the important thing to take away from that is right now up there in Connecticut, it's like 95 degrees, right? Right. And you're still fighting fire. So if we don't train under those conditions, how can we be expected to perform under those conditions? And so, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to do that, you know, and, and I get it. I, I would rather it was 65 degrees and, you know, and all that, but it's not, it's going to be hot and it's going to be muggy. If you do everything in first class, and uh, I'm sure this show's gonna outdo every other show, and uh, you know, you just you're fantastic at what you do, and uh, thank you very much. Well, thanks, Pete. It's been, a, as they say, it's been a good run. <laughs> well, we did again. We wanted to thank you uh, so much for coming on. Um, I know you're a busy, busy, busy guy, and uh, we really do appreciate you given us uh, this time. Uh, uh, so um, at this point, are you up for a, a question or two? Sure, yeah, sure. Anybody from the audience, if you have a question for the uh, chief, just if you look on your screen, there's a little microphone with a line through it. If you click on that, you'll be, un you'll be open and you can talk. Um, we'll give you a couple, couple seconds here to uh, do that. And if not, we're going to let the chief uh, head back to his cell phone, <laughs> get back to work. Actually, it's a, I got, a, this is my workout. Next 30 minutes is my workout hours. I'll go do my run, do my total gym and then you'll be all set. Back on the elliptical, right chief? Yeah. Today's just a, t it's a 10 mile day. So. Oh, uh, okay. How's the wheels? How's, how, how's your car? Car's a Grace won gold at the uh, uh, Mustang Club of America show in Eureka Springs. She's now going to be in the Kansas City show, which is a really, really big show. So she's going to be in that just the weekend before FDIC. So I'll be taking Grace up there. It's um, the Mustang, right? She's a she's a 1965 A code, and then 
Um, I'm doing a new wiring harness and rolling thunder and I'm upgrading the cooling fan in that to a 5.0 cooling fan. So rolling thunder is a, 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 a racing Mustang. She's she's dropped lowered. She's an 06. Uh, she's um, rolling thunder is a, 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 a very dangerous machine in my hands. If someone knew how to drive a really good car, <laughs> but in my hands, it's just, it's like, it's like, it's like a guy with Parkinson's playing with nitroglycerin. <laughs> it, at any moment, something really horrible is going to happen. They so, foolishly, they foolishly put me in a javelin. Like when he's, you know, when he's machine, you know, mechanic guys jacked up this car and asked me if I wanted to take it for a ride. I said, sure. I almost put it right in. I just, all I did was touch the, touched the accelerator like that much the next thing i know my head was snapped back and i was heading towards a tree when i jumped on the brakes I, that was the last time they let me drive that <laughs> i don't know why well you know we've we have tamed automobiles dramatically and, and and again it's because folks want you know everything to be so incredibly safe and i get it you know you don't want lunatics you know drag racing down the streets but um I, I still enjoy a good drag race from time to time, it, where it's legal, sometimes, and or the person has a Chevy. Then it's <laughs> that's the tripwire right there. That's right. all that matters. But especially if the clown's in a vet. <laughs> give, me a, give me a break. Just kidding. My my dream car, if I ever get a chance, I, I would love to get my hands on a '53 vet. Really? Yeah. I so thought you were a Ford guy. Wow. I am a Ford guy, but the 53 Vet is iconic. It's a true roadster, and I love roadsters. I'm a sucker for a good roadster. So if I could get my hands on a 53 Vet, I'd buy in a minute. That and an F100. If I could get my hands on an F100 anytime from probably 51 through, say, 60, I'd love to get my hands on an F100 pickup. Yeah, I love those too. Oh, that's my retirement plan, John. Other people, other people want to go to the villages. Not me, buddy. You want to go racing? Yeah. Well, I put a, I put a mechanics pit in my garage, and I'm I'm having a hoist put in so I can lift engines and. So just for full disclosure, that's the that's the pit at the house. Yeah, my house. I have an actual I have an actual pit that I can work but on. But down the street, how far away is the is the big barn? Is the big? Oh, street? the big one's a, about a mile and a half. That's that's. Mile a and a half down is a, a Butler building, right? Yeah, it's a it's a Butler building with eight lifts. Uh, <laughs> that's where the rest of the stock is well we like to call them dreams in progress <laughs> well, i tell you what i've seen that red that red mustang and it's a sweet ride Thanks. that is a sweet ride that's my she's my crown jewel that's a it's an amazing car so. well listen so uh having heard no nothing from the uh, floor probably i'm gonna say thank you so much Oh, God bless. Thank you for having me. John, you didn't say much. But well, I wanted you to know that I really appreciated you going through my history. You talked about nuclear power. You talked about gas plants. You talked about power um, going into the battery storage facilities. You know, you just made me feel at home. <laughs> you know, I, I think that firefighters who don't study power are making an incredible mistake. It's, it's an incredible mistake. It, I think that your knowledge and in industry is so critical to what we do that uh, trivializing the, the importance of it 
is fraught with great more great moral hazard because energy is everything right the right now there's nothing more important than energy and you know people talk about water too people talk about all of that but it's all about energy and as we move forward as a society how we manage that and how we respond to it is going to be critical and absolutely and, and you know I, you look at you look at where we were in let's just go back to the 80s not to date myself but where we were in the 80s and we have a hurricane come through and people lose power and the patience they had to lose power for four five six days and they just dealt with it and now we have that same event you know 35 40 years later and a, we're a day into the event and people are screaming they don't have their power back it's because they've succumbed so accustomed to having that energy to power their cell phone and the computer and if they don't have it it really throws people for a loop and you know when we're looking at the life expectancy of the 1970 nuclear plants coming to an end you know their life expectancy is you know we see them closing all over new england so we've seen the rise in the gas powered plants we've seen the gas turbines that we've seen them go from you know, smaller units, now we see some bigger ones. But you're gonna see, I think, in, with energy, um, in the near future, you're gonna start seeing, in the Northeast anyway, you're gonna start seeing these energy storage facilities that they're, they already have out in, the, out in the Southwest, where they can take some of the renewable, the wind energy and the solar and store it so that they can then leak it back into the grid to maintain a you know grid stability. So I, I do think that and and as you touched on that and even in a better sense, you talked about how it was going to be um in a, in residential where you could come across that with the recharging of cars and the batteries in, in the residential area. Um that's all pretty important stuff and I think it's coming faster than a lot of us um you know realize. I agree. And I think that it's paramount that we're ahead of it, not chasing it. You know, yep. I don't want I don't want some horrible catastrophe to make it come to our attention. I, I want to pay attention to it before a horrible catastrophe in hopes that we don't have a horrible catastrophe. And, you know, the other side of your business, the hygiene side of it, the fire service has been woefully um, negligent in, in, in industrial hygiene practices. We're just starting industrial hygiene. If you can imagine that, could you imagine if a, if a, if a customer of yours, a major power producer or a, you know, a, a pipeline, imagine if they were just starting to understand industrial hygiene. Yeah, yeah, they'd be like just out of business. And we're just starting to understand the implications of industrial hygiene. Matter of fact, you, I don't think there's a degree in fire site, fire service, industrial hygiene. Yet. No, you you have to take a left. You you can get right. You go to the left to get your industrial hygienist because there is no there's no fire based. Which is know. fascinating, right? It's fascinating. It's beyond the pale, and, and you know. But anyway, but one thing I'll give uh, uh, before I arrived here. Uh, one thing that John always did that I thought was uh, when I heard about it. 
So we do these big power plant. So they're gonna take the whole turbine out. They're gonna replace the turbine, right? So this is a major evolution. One of the things that John always did is he'd reach out because a lot of these are in larger communities. He'd reach out to the rescue, to the fire department, to the, and they, we'd actually, he would actually host the whole assignment up to the power plant. And then we would do a high angle response from, you know, 150 feet up in the air through down to Stokes to then do all the rope work and get everybody. So everybody knew each other and that kind of investment. And if something did happen later on, everybody knew each other. You know what I mean? It's like anything else. They recognize the face. They may not know your name, but they know who you were from. So again, it just made, if, if there was a real incident, it made things a lot easier. And I think that, I love it. That's, that you got to do that. You have that, you can't have the walls up. No. Because when it- And, and Zoom, it Zoom just doesn't cut it. I mean, no disrespect, there's a great platform, but you know, I'm, I'm not a big fan of online education. Uh, I'm just not. I mean, I think it's a useful tool for flipping the classroom, right? Preloading some cognitive stuff. But there's some really interesting studies that if you read a book on like your e-reader, and I've got one of those things, so that you're, mine's an oasis, that your comprehension is about a third compared to if you just, you know, bought the book, you know, and, and this isn't a great example, this is more like just a pleasure reading, but, you know, say you're reading a, a technical book. Um, I just read Doom by Niall Ferguson, and I couldn't imagine not reading it in, in you know, in my hands because, it was that deep a book, right? So, and, and I, have, I have many friends who say, well, I listen to the audibles. Okay. <laughs> so, audibles are good when you're driving. Yeah, yeah, uh -oh. yeah. Then then buy the book so you'll know what was in it. You have a friend. Yeah, then buy the book. If, it, if it's a book that should be read, right? There are books we read for pleasure. I've got hundreds of them, but, but a book that you're reading because the subject matter is consequential, read it, you know, so. I want to put you actually on the spot because you do a tremendous amount of reading. How many books are you reading a week um, or a month? I don't know, eight or 10 a month. Last month I read Taboo, Doom, um, Two Truths About America, Seven Men, uh, Race of Aces, um, and then a couple of, you know, just for pleasure books, um, uh, things worth dying for by Chapeau. I try to read things as they come out that I, you're but, also big into old, old, as you mentioned before, you like pulling stuff out of back here. Yeah. I like, I like, I like the, all the classics and I like, he sure does. He yeah. remembers some of those people because he probably uh, knows them personally. <laughs> and I, uh, but I, I, you know. I'm one of the people that actually reads uh, the Chief's editorials, and uh, you're 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 the person. His last one was uh, was right on about reading. And, uh, <laughs> I, I got my dog here, and it's lightning and thundering. <laughs> I think that's why Izzy came in. Yeah, must be lightning and thunder. So she's a she's a nine year old golden. But you know, things like if people would read like the Brothers Cosmonov, uh, uh, or if people would read um, Romanov, rather, if people would read. Um, uh, the bureaucrat or crime and punishment or uh, gulag archipelago or any of the, the great russian literature and then look at what's happening in our country today with this you know slow rise of tyranny it's terrifying um you know all of this has happened before 
you know, and, and it's and it's happening now, and and folks need to become aware of it. It's it's terrifying, and and when you read those people, you know, be careful about get give up no freedom ever, least of all freedom of your mind, and never allow anyone to to have you say something you know not to be true, never. Because the minute you do that, you'll start to despise yourself just a little more with every passing day. And, and that's the whole message of crime and punishment. You know, he got away with murder. No, 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 he didn't. And so it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating study in human nature. So dust off your old, you know, your old Russian classic. I love books from high school. Man, yeah. you're going to make me dig them all out. Yeah, well, think about it. Kids aren't even reading them today. I did a, I did a, uh, it was a master's class for the people from Drexel University, fourth fourth year students graduating in, um, I can't remember what the discipline was. They had never read one piece of Russian literature, not a single one. Really? How do you, how did you get through school without, you know, they didn't even know who the postmodernists were. They couldn't tell you who Derrida or Foucault was if you put them in a lineup. So. It was it was pretty amazing. You know, it's important to keep uh, it's important to keep history in perspective, and uh, from the times that things actually happened and the culture that existed, and and I think we're forgetting that. Right. If you don't know if you don't know who Locke and and Bacon and, and were, then how do you how do you dare criticize Western culture? I mean, how do you I mean, how do you dare criticize anything? I mean, you know, if it. If, if you're walking around with a copy of Ibram Kendi in your hip pocket, you're a moron, in my opinion. And, you know, the guy's real name is Henry Rogers, by the way, just so you know. But you know. You're, you've already embarrassed the crap out of me because I didn't know about half of those people you said. Because <laughs> I'm not as avid a reader as you are, that's for sure. Just the only book you got to worry about reading, Nick, at your age is this one. It's a, I got you, bro. Keep Keep that one close and you'll be all right. I mean this one? <laughs> what is that? There it is. Oh, good. good. There it, is. <laughs> it was fading into your. You're not actually. See, Johnny's not actually in the office because when he moved around, he disappeared. That's how. That's how come He's me and. Scamming you, John. That's how come me and Johnny. That was a secret. Exact too. same spot. You owe you owe John an hour and a half's pay. <laughs> That's what I remember. I've got to do. Well, thank well, you. Listen, thank Thanks you so for having me. I appreciate it. No, thanks for coming. Appreciate okay. having you. It was a, it was right. a pleasure. It was a pleasure. So, uh, as uh, let me just uh, close out with a couple things. So, again, Bobby, thank you so much for coming. Uh, for the folks that are here, uh, if you have other folks that could not make the early time, we will be rebroadcasting this, obviously not live, at our regular time at 7 p.m. So, if you want to uh, share that information with them, uh, let them know. Uh, also, a couple of things. Uh, thanks to Jamie, we've taken a lot of our recordings um, and we've turned them into podcasts. So if you have, you look at hashtag critical, critical conversations or hashtag JLN critical conversations and just type that in, that'll bring you to a page and you can look at uh, the stuff we've done in the past. Um, again, this is part of a four part series on leadership. Uh, so let's see, July, try to remember who I have here. So July, we have the superintendent of the National Fire Academy coming on, the brand Eric new Atlas. Yep, Eric's is coming on. Um, he's going to be talking about the things they had to do to survive 
COVID and what they've had to do to to get that place reopened as much as it is and and the future they every day like everywhere else things are being relaxed so and also we want to ask him about his vision um for the academy he did a tremendous job he actually took a fire and a police academy and blended them together successfully um and uh obviously getting the job as superintendent of national fire academy is not easy so we're going to be talking to him. We're going to take the month of August off. And, and he's also the former head of the North American Training Directors. I did not know that. I did not know that. Uh, and he's just a riot. He's just a great, he's a great guy. We, we, uh, Dear friend. The, the, the last class uh, I taught, uh, one, of the one of the instructors, uh, the uh, exciting part was that they opened up a, uh, a Dunkin' Donuts in Emmitsburg. Breaking news. And so... Uh, if the uh, if my partner was not up teaching, he would take an order from the class and go get Dunkin' Donuts and bring goodies back. And and Eric's managed to come by every day to see what was there for goodies. He's a good guy. We are going to take August off, and then I'm really excited. Also, we have so we have Dennis Compton, uh, retired fire chief from Mass, Arizona. Uh, he responded to all three uh, terror to three terrorism sites. He responded to Oklahoma City. He responded to uh, New York, and then he was sent to the Pentagon. So it is. Uh, it's going to be the third. The was it twenty twenty eighth, Jamie? No, it's the eighth. It's just before nine eleven. So we're going to do a little memorial. Uh, twenty years this year for nine eleven. So we're going to do. Well, we're not going to forget type of thing. And he's going to talk about Oklahoma. FDN down in New York and then the Pentagon. And then we're going to end it up uh, the week before the National Fallen Firefighters Memorial. A friend of ours, uh, uh, Chief Ron Kanderman, is the IC. Uh, the, uh, two years ago, the, uh, the chief that was the incident commander uh, stepped down and Ron took that over. So we'll have him. We're going to have uh, one of our own. Tony Ruggiero from Yukon talking about the honor guard. We're going to have, I have, I have to get a, a return call to Matt Tobia, who's in charge of the, of the uh, escorts. And then we're going to have Timmy Jeffries. And for the people in the state know that his dad, uh, Kenny Jeffries, uh, died in the line of duty at the submarine base uh, fire department. And Timmy's coming on to talk as a survivor. So that's going to be the, that's going to bring us through October. Um, so yeah, that right because it's the two in September, and I got to come up with somebody else for October. Am I missing somebody? I think that's it, right? Two in so. August, not in August, two in September, right? Because the first weekend, the memorial is the first weekend in October, so so we'll have the fallen firefighters on the last week of September. There we go. <clears throat> so what happens when I go that far out. So uh, thank you, folks. Um, as always, we appreciate. Um, Bobby, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank uh, you, Nick, for uh, the invitation. And uh, hey, uh, Chief uh, Chief Houghton, uh, our Camaro uh, buddy, uh, Reggie Freeman, now is out in Oakland. Yeah, California. went to Oakland. Uh, yeah, he's there. What a joke. Yeah, he's uh, he's doing well. Yeah, Richard's a good guy. 
He's a good He's guy. A Camaro guy, right? Huh? Isn't he a Camaro guy? Yeah, he sure is. Guy. Yeah, he's a big Camaro guy. Yeah. Yeah, he sure. One is. of the guys who used to work for me was a buddy of his from the from the the club up in Hartford. We can yeah, yeah, him. the baby out there. I don't know. If, um, that's a whole nother. <laughs> I'm excited he's out there. I think he's going to do great as he always does. He's got a lot to work with and a lot of challenges. They have 57 different. I, we had a kid from Oakland in a class. 57 different branded significant gang, gangs. I like wannabe gangs, significant gangs, a huge indigenous, they have a huge uh, uh, tent population. If there's a piece of grass, it's got a tent on it. Every every ramp, there's huge, I can't, I, there's a technical term, They've there's a modern term they've come up with, but they have a huge- Ur Urban outdoorsman. Yeah, but there's something. There's a there's a, a a politically correct. But now, so so every day he posts the runs for Oakland on Facebook, and now under the run under the fire runs, he says whether or not a homeless camp was involved. That's how many that's how many homeless campfires he has a day. Uh, it's a good day out there when they don't have one, and and th and those camps are like the LA ones where it's a full assignment because it's a whole block long, you know, twenty feet deep one story most of the time high you know i mean all the way out there that that, right. used, that used to be a third world problem not anymore not anymore and that's it's the listen to the oakland folks they were they were it wasn't a great uh, it, it, you know it's, it's a high demand well a lot of challenges just a, everything from language to education to fear to mental health to everything it's just and that that's what's going on across the you know across the, that whole area so maybe we'll get him on that's thank you question. folks thanks chief all right, all right. thank you everybody thank you so much good night pleasure meeting you thanks bobby likewise good seeing you guys thank you.